Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. As you turn there, let me highlight one other announcement. Uh, and that is our upcoming kickball league. Uh, I encourage everyone to take this as seriously as I am. Uh, this is about competition, not fellowship. Uh, we're going to do both at the same team. Trey Gross has a team. Chris Lee has a team. Uh, take this seriously, everybody. Okay. Now, let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers who secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The word of the Lord. All right, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon his preached word. So, Father, we thank you again uh, for this Lord's Day. Thank you for the opportunity and privilege to gather in your name, to enjoy fellowship with you and each other. And Lord, we give you praise for the high calling to be worshipers. And I ask you now, in the context of worship, would you meet with us? And Father, open our eyes afresh to you, your promises to us, uh, the risen Lord Jesus. 
And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you can accomplish this morning. Show us more of Christ. And we ask in his name. Amen. When you walked into the sanctuary this morning, I hope you noticed outside a new park bench uh, that sits just to the right of the wooden doors. If you didn't, on your way out this morning, I encourage you to take a look. If it's not raining, it'll be on your left on the way out. This bench was designed by members of the crew of the USS Biddle, uh, which was positioned off the coast in Vietnam in 1972 during the war years there. The bench is a monument to our friend Mark Binkowski who we lost earlier this year to COVID. His fellow sailors on the Biddle designed this bench. It has Mark's name on it, uh, the ship's name, and their years of service together in our Navy. Uh, There's even a picture of the ship there on the bench. Last Thursday afternoon, uh, the sailors uh, from the Biddle came to Lexington to see this monument, uh, and they took Ruth out to dinner. Uh, Will and I just happened to be here in the office at the time when all these guys came by. I'm not going to lie, it was pretty cool. Uh, Guys had come in from Nevada, New York, North Carolina, etc., from all over uh, to see this monument and and to spend time together and and to celebrate Ruth. And they retold the story of their ship coming under fire in 1972 and their quick response to shoot down the enemy planes and celebrate their very survival some 49 years earlier. It was all I could do to not start crying uh, as they shared this story enthusiastically. What was interesting, though, is that Ruth had told me that story before. So I knew it was true. But when I saw the faces of the men who were actually on the boat telling the story, it brought about a whole other context to what occurred. I could have listened to them talk all night long. I wanted to hear every detail of their experience together. There's something motivating inside of our heart when we hear stories from history that are true that have impacted our lives. Now, there's a dangerous thing about hearing stories from the past. Sometimes it can be dangerous. Sometimes the heroes are not always the best people. Sometimes details of the stories need to be left out because they're not worth hearing. However... When we're informed of the past in such a way that something meaningful happened and our lives are better as a result, history can motivate us to grow and change and mature and be inspired. Stories like this can actually cause our hearts to burn with passion for what is good. As we look at our passage this morning, I hope and I pray that that's exactly what will happen for us as we consider the gospel and how it has been preserved for us throughout history. Look, look back briefly at Galatians 2, and let me put this into context. We've seen thus far in our study that the Apostle Paul is passionately reminding the church in Galatia that there is only one gospel message, that all of God's people enter into this family the exact same way, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ and only by faith in Jesus Christ. This faith is revealed to us and it is not earned by anyone. Thus, faith in Christ is incredibly freeing because you do not deserve it. And the fact that you have it sets you free to enjoy the grace that is ours in him. Uh, Last week, 
we entered into Paul's personal story of how he came to know the Lord and his story of the ministry of free grace that is his. Today, we continue to look at his life and his ministry and how free grace has affected him. And we are going to see how a lifestyle of free grace is revealed. What I hope that we will see this morning is that the reality that Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, defended the cause of freedom in Christ against suspicion and against enemies of the gospel, resulting in his ability to enjoy his place inside the kingdom. Here's my question for you this morning. Do you know what God has designed you to be? Do you know what God has designed you to do? We're going to get a glimpse of that this morning as we see this history of our faith being defended. Uh, I want our hearts to be revived this morning in two ways as we think about the history of our faith. First, remember the fight for our faith And then secondly, remember the overflow of our faith. That's the the fight and the overflow together. First, remember the fight for our faith. Look back at verse 1. In the previous chapter, it was revealed that Paul had traveled to Jerusalem for the first time to meet with James and Peter to get to know the other apostles. Not to create the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to be affirmed that they were all saying the same thing. And now, 14 years later, the second trip is announced that it occurred. That's to be understood as 14 years after Paul's conversion to Christ. So just about a decade in between times that he visited Jerusalem. Now he's back in the capital city with Jesus' friend John being present. But the uniqueness of the passage are the people that Paul brought with him, particularly the person of Titus. And you're going to hear more about him in just a second. But here's what you need to know. Between those two trips to Jerusalem, Paul had been actively busy being the apostle that God set him apart to be. He had been on missionary journeys throughout the region. He did the work of an evangelist. He preached. He taught God's word to all different types of people. And here's the key. Many of those people who heard the message of Christ through Paul's mouth believed the message. And they put their faith in the work of Christ, and they were saved, just as we have been. Notice verse 4 and see the tension that's rising here in the story. There were false brothers who came into Galatia, and they were instructing that if anyone wanted to be a Christian, they must also embrace Jewish cultural practices. Paul called them false brothers because they were not brothers at all. They were religious professionals They were designed by, from a political standpoint, to keep their set together. Their desire had nothing to do with the actual message of the Old Testament, but rather it had political and financial implications for their life. They cared nothing of the Messiah of the Old Testament, rather they wanted something for themselves. But yet, people in Galatia were letting those lies slip into the church. And when they or any other Christians were forced to follow a particular cultural practice in addition to following Jesus, then the work of Jesus would become secondary and miss the whole work of the cross and our freedom in Christ would be gone. So, to convince these Galatians of this misinformation bordering on their loss of freedom, Paul tells the account, verse 3, of this man, Titus. 
And do not miss the point here. Consider who Titus was. He was a Gentile Greek. Paul shared his faith with him. He told him the gospel. Titus received the Holy Spirit. Titus was adopted into the family of God. Titus was justified and the process of sanctification had begun. He looked forward to a future glorification and a whole new body. In a word, Titus was a Christian. Plain and simple. Supernatural, plain and simple. Just like any of us. He's a Gentile. Plain, ordinary. Notice what did not happen to to Titus. He was not circumcised. He did not follow any dietary restrictions. He did not make any sacrifices. There were zero cultural or other barriers for him to know Christ. He just believed and he was converted. He was proof that the new covenant had begun. You know, thinking about the USS Biddle and Vietnam and those stories and all of that, all that being a true story, it reminded me of a story that's not true. When I was in high school, there was a great movie that came out named Rambo. Anybody remember Rambo? First Blood Part 2. Again, it's fiction. However, it's about a vet who had had a hard time finding his way in life after he came home from Vietnam. And the United States government in that movie wanted him to go back to Vietnam and simply to investigate whether or not there were any prisoners of war still in Vietnam some 15 years later. Of course, Rambo, living up to his name, didn't just go and investigate. He went in like a gorilla he was and found prisoners of war and brought them out. And he took one essentially to the government and said, there he is. Deal with that and go get the rest. There's an element, that's exactly what Paul is doing here with these influential people in Jerusalem. He's saying, guys, here is a Gentile. He has the same Holy Spirit that we do. He has the same confession of Christ that we do. The same trust, the same hope. Jesus was alive inside of him. Here he is, plain and simple, deal with him. Ultimately, in verse 9. The leaders in Jerusalem recognized the true, powerful, sovereign, freeing grace that was given to them, was given to Paul and to Barnabas, and even to this Greek, Titus. So the right hand of fellowship was given to Paul, and he was told, go do this again and again and again, and hallelujah, because that message even came to us. That's the message of the gospel. But I ask you for just a moment to stop and to dwell on what Paul actually did. Don't let one of the greatest moments in redemptive history slide by too quickly. Notice verse 5. Paul stood up and fought for the truth of the gospel. He would not give in an ounce. With the words from his mouth and the passion from his heart, he did not back down to the enemies of the cross. He did not compromise. He didn't play politics. Maybe he might do that in other settings, but he's not going to do it when it comes to our freedom in Christ that Jesus purchased. No, the truth of the gospel has been preserved for you 
For this very day, this very morning, this is the gospel that we believe that changes us. I shudder to imagine, what if Paul had backed down? What if he had caved under pressure? Think about it. Do you know what would have been lost? The only people inside the kingdom would be those of one cultural heritage, and it would not be ours. The only people in the kingdom would be consumed with anxiety all day long, wondering, have I done all of this the right way? The only people in the kingdom would not be celebrating the finished work of Jesus, but rather we would be comparing ourselves to each other to see if I have measured up in my religious activity in order to define my success. The only people in the kingdom would not be free. They would not enjoy fellowship with the Savior. They would not enjoy fellowship with each other. Rather, we would be rivals. We would not taste liberty. And not only that, we wouldn't share our faith because it would be such a burden. Now, of course, that wasn't God's plan and that wasn't going to happen. But let your hearts be grateful that Paul won the day, that he didn't back down, that freedom that we have in Christ was preserved for us. But now apply this to your heart this morning. Please see. Just as Paul stood up in Galatia, uh, into Jerusalem for the Galatians, please understand that you are called this morning to persevere in your faith as well. Until Jesus returns, there will be enemies of the cross hoping to take your joy from him. You see, in every single one of our hearts this morning, there is a struggle. Maybe that struggle for you today is simple apathy, that you don't even care about Jesus. Or maybe that struggle for you is there's a promotion of all of your religious activities for you to feel really good about all that you're doing. You see, both of those examples have one thing in common. They both are saying, I've got it all figured out. Both extremes are nothing more than your own pride and self-sufficiency thinking, I understand the path of life. Of course we don't. Be reminded this morning that the gospel tells the self-righteous and the self-loathing the exact same thing. Your sin can be removed and your pain can be healed all because of what Christ did on the cross. So therefore, wherever you are, come to him. The point of this passage is every type of person is welcome to come to Jesus and be free. And when you come, you you bring your unique personality, your heritage, your background with you. And you live inside of his kingdom in total freedom. You see, God has designed you in his image and given you a unique life. When he made and created you. So thus, when he converts you, he is now setting you free to be all that he has made you to do and to be. Note. Titus did not quit being Greek because he became a Christian. Rather, Christ moved into his culture and set him free to redeem him, to liberate him, to enjoy. So this morning, if if you come from Appalachia, you don't give up your heritage to follow Jesus. No, Jesus comes into your world and liberates you. And his kingdom is revealed by your love of him and of each other. 
Titus could now enjoy who he was because his sin and his shame were gone. The cross took it away. He was now a free man. No more comparison to each other. No more burden of duty. Now, free to love God and man. So church, I pray for us this week that God would help us to see more of this freedom. That's the point. That's point number one. That's the fight. It's an internal fight for our soul. Now, point two. This seems like such a brief, simple, additional thought, but I'm going to argue it's more than that. Look at verse 10. Notice the overflow of our faith. It's the simple words, quote, remember the poor. Remember what Paul is trying to do here. He's, he's, he's providing his credibility to his readers that he and Peter agree on everything that Christ is the source of their faith. His final appeal has this, how do we handle the poor? What do we do about it? Peter tells Paul to help the poor. Paul responds to Peter, well, that's funny. That's the very thing I've been doing anyway. Here's the point. Their story's corroborated. All the Christian leaders were saying the exact same thing. No one had to teach them to do it. It was the overflow of their life. See, when Jesus opens our eyes spiritually to see our poverty and our need of Christ, the natural, supernatural overflow is a concern for the physical poverty of those people all around us. It's what the Holy Spirit does when the new covenant realities are here. It's the overflow. And of course, this raises the question, not how was it done exactly in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but what does this look like for us today who possess the exact same spirit that Peter, Paul, and John had then? You would think this is the one topic we would all just easily agree upon, right? We're going to help the poor. I would argue that Satan is so clever that he can even divide us on this. I suggest two things this morning that I hope and I pray that we need to agree upon when it comes to caring for the poor, and that would be the principle involved in the provision for the poor. Here's the principle. It's that we care for others in need because Jesus cares for us in our need. Meaning, if you know Jesus, your heavenly Father could not be more proud of you than he is right at this very minute. Not because of your giving or anything that you have done, but because when you were poor in your sins, he saved you. That is the gospel. That is the principle. And it now frees you. So thus, you don't need to give to the poor. You don't need to serve. You don't need to help to convince God to love you. To convince God to like you. He already does. All of that was achieved with the cross. So this morning, you don't need to give, serve, or help the poor to feel better about yourself. Your freedom in Christ means that you can enjoy being you because Jesus enjoys you. He is singing over you right now because of the blood of the cross. You don't need to give to the poor or serve or help to get anyone else's approval, to get our approval, or to impress anyone. Jesus is impressed by you already. That is the gospel, that his blood covers you. So God, your father, looks upon you and he is pleased. You're that free. So enjoy your freedom. Next time you want to give or serve or help, you don't have to post a picture of yourself anywhere to impress anyone. You don't have to. You're that free. In fact, we're so free, we don't care that you did it. Just do it. 
You see, it's an overflow of the Spirit. That's the principle. But notice as well the provision. And that is, how do we actually help the poor? And I hope I really have grown and matured over the years as I delve in this subject. Uh, this, this needs to be a subject all on its own, a sermon on its own, a conference on its own. But the reality that helping the poor can be complex and messy because being poor can be complex and messy. You need to know this. Our theology at this church includes a broken world where sin affects every single thing in our lives. It includes the realities that poverty exists for a multiple potential of reasons, including, just to name a few, that there are cycles of poor education. There are cycles of generational racism or systems of injustices. There are cycles of poor health, physical or mental, that prevent people from being able to work. There are cycles of poverty that result from poor government decisions that have de-incentivized work. All these things are true. The curse affects them all. And we could go on and on and on. But sin affects everything. Our job as followers of Jesus is to recognize those people in need and help them in our community. To give a comprehensive view of all of this and to give. The overflow of our lives is to be part of helping those who cannot work or who simply are in need. So from Christians in Rome 2,000 years ago to the Mercy Fund of TCPC right now, this is what we do. We help people. We help those who are in need. So even this morning, I hope that your eyes are open toward the needs of others. And your willingness is to give, not in order to impress anyone, because it's the natural overflow of God's spirit inside of us. I pray this will be true of our church. You know, in conclusion, I, I hope that the men who served on the biddle, I hope they had a great weekend here together. I hope they went to dinner with Ruth. And I hope they laughed and told stories all night long. I wish I'd been in the middle of it. But as well, I hope that the history of our faith also reminds us that we are people who are free to celebrate the fact that Jesus has taken our sin and shame away. And as we fight to remember that, that we have the freedom to give to those who are in need because Christ has met our needs. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to prepare us to come to his table now. So, Father, as we prepare to come to this table to receive your grace from your supper, we thank you that the gospel is true. We thank you that the gospel has set us free, that we are free to enjoy you. We are free to serve you. Oh, Father, we, we don't have to live in comparison, but rather we live in your delight of us because of what the cross has done. Thank you for Paul and his ministry. Thank you for the saints of old who have defended this faith. We give you praise now in Christ's name. Amen.